Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're back for another week of our Mushroom Society series where we get together with Bob Wiley and talk with a coach about all the different aspects of coaching, offensive line play, etc. And we're extremely honored today to be talking to Dante Skarnecchia. So, Coach, before we get Coach Skarnecchia into the show, another great week here. Always fun watching ball, talking ball, and it's great to have you back here again. Yeah, this is one of the best parts of my week. And I get to talk to guys that I've uh, been friendly with that are great teachers and great football coaches and they're better persons than the football and the, and the uh, teaching. In uh, Dante, he started out as a California guy. He served his country. He was in the Marines. I think it was California Western. And then he went to SMU a couple, two or three times. And then was at the Pacific. That's another, you know, Pete Carroll was there and Eddie Dantel, Bruce Gosler. That's like a cradle of coaches little college there, right? And then he, he ended up at New England, I believe, in 1982. And he stayed there for, I think he left and spent two years in Indianapolis and then came back to New England, right? So for one coach to stay in one place for that long is absolutely amazing. you got to be doing a, a great job. And they've won five, he's got five Super Bowl wins. One for each finger. Yeah, I don't know what hand he has him on, right <laughs> hand or left hand, but he's got five of them. It's been a pleasure to call him my friend, and uh, I've known Dante for a long time, and I'm quite sure he's going to have some good stories for us. And I always enjoyed going over to New England. I got went to his house a few times down in Narragansett, but when I first went over to New England, I think Bill Muir Dante, if I'm not correct, he was the line coach at the time. And I think Dante coached the the special teams and the tight ends at that time. Okay, and then I did. Uh, later, later on in his career, but well, you were the line coach at SMU, weren't you? And then later, later on in his career, he moved over to the offensive line and stayed there forever. We get started with Dante. Go ahead, Keith. You get a few first few questions. Yeah, well, Coach Skarnecki, we really do appreciate you taking the time, and uh, I did really love that presentation you gave at the Cool Clinic, and just thought it was an in- incredible. It really encapsulated all the important things in coaching, and I highly recommend for those of you who didn't hear it out there already or watch it out out there um, to make sure you check that out. So, Coach, it's an honor to have you here, and I'm excited to be talking ball with you today. Thank you. Thanks for having me, and Bob, thank you for all those kind words. I really appreciate it, and you also, Keith. 
Coach, we'll get it started off here. Uh, Coach mentioned a lot of the places you've been, and, and you had an incredible career. And just in looking over some things the last couple of days and knowing you're going to be on, I, I saw something in an article where you said you were extremely satisfied with your career and how it went, and certainly the longevity you have, one of the longest tenures in, in professional football. It always goes back to the beginning, though, right? And, and so for you... What was it that made you want to be a football coach? You know, something you made this decision that obviously turned out very well for you. You know, for me personally, I think the revelation that I had in terms of what I wanted to do for me was at a, at a young age. You know, I, was, I think I was 10, 12 years old in that area. And every afternoon, I would go down to uh, elementary schools and they'd have an after school playground and they had this college guy, and he was out there and organizing all the kids that went down. We just flocked to the place, and he organized us in different sports. And he wasn't a coach by any means. He was a playground director and had red hair, so we all called him Red. And he just organized everything. And I thought, man, this guy's got the greatest job in the world to come out every afternoon and play games as old as he is and and I, th- I thought, man, that's really great. And then got into Pop Warner football for one year and then high school football. And I just said, well, this is what I want to do. You know, the guys I really, that I just had the greatest affinity for were those guys that coached me. And, you know, they meant a lot to me. And I really liked what they did, what they taught, how they taught it. And this was during my formative years as a student, and and they made a great impression on my life. And I just said, well, that's what I want to do. I want to be a high school history teacher and a football coach and went to college and took all the steps necessary to do that. And amazingly, I never coached one day of, of high school football. And, and I had a teaching credential, a master's, and I I couldn't get a job. You know, they, they had frozen all hiring and California at that time for people, baby boomers coming out because they had too many teachers. So I never taught in high school and I just, you know, just started coaching in college. I was really fortunate. You got your start coaching as, as Bob mentioned at California Western. It was, you were the offensive line coach there. In your second stop at Iowa State, you also then had the opportunity to coach the defensive backs. How did Coaching the defensive back, something you had never done. You were a, a center and linebacker in high school, an offensive lineman, center and guard in, in college. So defensive back was not in your background. But how did that help you develop as a coach? You know, it helped me in a lot of different ways. As we all know, you know, when you get to see the game in a different perspective from the other side of the ball, you learn a, a lot of new things and you learn why people do things the way they do them on defense and why they line up the way they line up and how specific they are, you know, with the technique identification system that everybody, everybody's used forever. You know, I guess originated with Bum Phillips and those guys with the 27 defense and line up in a two, line up in a seven, line up in a three, all that. So, you know, you just see the game in a different perspective and, and I think it makes you a better coach and, more capable to solve the problems that we're all going to see when you're on the other side of the ball on offense, trying to get those guys blocked. So I think it all counts for something. And it certainly made a great impact on me. And when Parcells came here, 
he says, some guys that I'm bringing in have spoken up for you, and they, they think that, you know, I should hire you. And so the only job I got is to, to be the quality control coach on defense. And I said, I'll take it. Because to be able to work for him and work for the coaches that he brought in here, and even to do all the breakdowns on uh, for the defensive staff, I had, those were four great years of my life. And I helped with Al grow with the linebackers and did all the work from early until late and to get everything broken down for those guys. And it all counts for something, you know, and it's made, it made me a better coach. You know, knowing the back end of the defense really helps because that's all tied into the front. You know what I mean? Sure. And, and, it better uh, be. Right. So now if you can understand the back end of the defense, then you could probably understand how the front's going to react when the ball's snapped. Then working with four years on, on doing because you see everything when you break the toe down. Oh, yeah. you got every little detail when you're breaking it down. you got every snap, every little thing, which really, like Dr. is saying to the people out there, that really helps you as a football coach. There's no doubt about that, and it really helped me. The revelation I had working for Farcel, you know, he was a two-gap guy. He played three-four, and he two-gap everything, and that was different. It was different than anything I'd ever experienced, and it was a unique experience to go through that system and hear how they put things together and you know and then when uh, Belichick came on the staff our last year to learn the way he approached things in terms of whatever you do good we're going we're going to take that away if that if that slot receiver is the number one guy you're going to we're going to make sure he's not going to get much of them so it was you know just all that stuff came into it, and I just really believe that, you know, to go through those experiences is something that I don't know how you can do it, but we all should go through it because it'll make you a better coach. It always has and always will. Coach Skarnecki, you early on went through the typical experience in, in 11 or, or 12 years. You were at five different places there getting your experience, but then other than two years – you spent your rest of your career at New England, which, I mean, it's really at a lot of places at any level anymore, kind of unheard of to be anywhere. It's usually that situation where you did really well and you're moving on or you didn't do as expected and you're moving on, but you've been able to have that longevity there at New England. And when you look back on your career, not just being in New England so long, but to have a, a career like you did, what are the keys to longevity in this profession, and especially for being with one team so long? I'll be the first to tell you that I can't explain why, you know, I work for, I think it's six different head coaches in New England, five or six different head coaches. I honestly don't know. I just don't. I didn't know Parcells. I didn't know Dick McPherson. I knew Pete Carroll because we had worked together at UOP for a year. And Bill and I had worked together with Parcells for one year. So, you know, those were the only common people as far as Bill and Pete that I had worked with. And but the rest of them I didn't know. And then for some reason, they just said, hey, I, you know, we want to offer this job. Raymond Berry, same thing, you know, he, he kept me on. He actually, he fired the whole staff after our first year because he came in in the middle of the year and took over for Ron Meyer 
at the end of the year, he, he let everybody go home. I went home and my wife and I were sitting on the couch trying to figure out our next move. And he called and he said, Hey, I, I want you to stay and coach the special teams like you've been doing. And damn, you know, we're, we're staying. And I can't explain any of it. You know, I'm just grateful for to, to be able to be here for this long. But I would say that the young coaches that always are looking for the next job, the one you got is pretty good. And that grass that you think is greener on the other side, it really isn't. And I remember thinking when we got into professional football or, or and even in college football, you know, you're at starting out in college and, and you're looking, boy, what would it be like to coach at USC and, you know, win a national championship or this school and do that and this school and do that. And I ended up going to SMU and, you know, we were the third best team in the country one year. And so I kind of found out what it was like to be part of a really good program. And when I got to the NFL, what would it like to be to coach at the 49ers, at the Cowboys, at the Dolphins, the, the Steelers, all these great teams. And, and you, you think, well, I want to get to those teams. But, you know, I found out what that was like. And again, it goes back to I don't know how, but we did. You know, I, I, I do know why. We had great head coach, great owner, and a great quarterback here. And, you know, we found out what it was like to be like that. And so, you know, that grass isn't greener. So make the most out of every day you got wherever you are. And I would say that to any young coach. And don't worry about that next job. Worry about the one you got and and come in early and go home late and try to be the best coach you can be and do the best job you can be. And, you know, usually that takes care of itself. That's great advice. That's that's why – you know, he, he's being very humble here, guys, right? You keep the good coaches. You keep the guys around that can teach you. You keep the guys around that, that their players produce. You work for ourselves, and he's really a pretty loyal. When he goes into a place, he usually cleans house and brings all his own people in. And, and yep. for the ability to, to, to stay there, I means somewhere he was looking at home. Or he's talking to somebody and said, hey, you should keep Dr. Skenecki. You know what I mean? You're going to keep somebody on that staff. Right? Keep that guy. So that's a a really a tribute to you, Dante. Your work skills, your work habits, your knowledge of the game, and all that plays a part. All that plays a part. Well, thanks for saying that. Coach Wiley, you know, what comes to mind is we had Alex Mirabal on the podcast, and he spoke at the Cool Clinic, but we were talking about that idea of how you stay in this profession and how you move through the profession and what he brought up. And I think this is probably true. Coach Wiley, you you could probably attest to this in knowing Dante and and seeing his work is that every day is an interview that it's not just about this time you go in and sit down with somebody, but you know, word gets around quick amongst your peers, amongst other coaches. If you're doing things right in that approach to it every day of, you're always doing things in a way that shows who you are and taking pride in that every day. And in that way, as, as Coach Maribald mentioned it, it, every day is an interview. And that's probably a big part of how Coach Garnecki has been able to stay on. Coach Wiley, I'd love to hear your perspective on that. I think you're on an interview all the time. You know I mean? Not just on the field or in the meeting rooms. I think when you, you talk to other coaches and you go to a clinic and you go – if somebody comes to visit you, somebody walks up to you at a convention someplace, 
they want to talk some football with you. I, I think you, 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 because you never know when some of those guys are going to become head coaches someplace, or some of those guys are going to become coordinators, or, or you're working with some somebody on your staff and he gets to be a coordinator and he asks if you want to go, right? So you're always on an interview with people and coaches and stuff. Coach Skarnecki, I know the attention to keeping yourself fit physically, big part of it and hearing the stories about you running with the linemen and doing crunches in the back of the, the meeting room and all those kinds of things. And, you know, you look at this profession, it requires energy. I mean, you're working with, you know, at some point guys who you're in coaching longer than they've been alive. So you have to have some energy. You have to have all that that goes along with it. How important was it for you to always really be, be keeping yourself in shape on the physical side, too, to be able to deliver as a coach? Well, it's, you know, it's a physical sport, and you have access to doing things within the building that you're working in to, that allow you to take care of yourself. And I think you have to a lot of time each day as much as you possibly can for yourself. You know, there are certain days where it's really hard to go in and get 20 minutes or 30 minutes for yourself, but there certainly is is time where you can if you and you got and you got to make time for yourself i mean it's the only body you got so you got to take care of it and i've always approached it that way i still approach it that way and i think it's important so i, I think it gets too blown out of proportion running with the linemen after practice i wouldn't beat any of them because <laughs> even though they're big fast <laughs> guys they still have long legs and they can run fast you know so I just like doing it, you know, and it had nothing to do with anything more. Hey, look, at it. they're going to run. I might as well run with them and, and just do what they're doing. And I always liked it. I was enjoyed doing it. Coach, you've worked with a lot of great players. And, you know, when you have great players like that, certainly you don't want them to level off. You don't want them to step, take a step backwards. For you as a coach, what things did you do? What approach did you take to keep them from leveling off or hitting a plateau as a player? I think the key to that is don't assume anything. Don't assume that any guy that, you know, has been a good player for a long period of time, you know, when you start all over again in the spring, I think everyone gets coached the same. We're going to try to improve every player that's on our roster, any player that's on our in our meeting room, we're going to try to make them a better player than they were the year before. And we're not making any assumptions that the three worst words in, in all of life and, and especially in football are, I got it because they don't got it. And, you know, if you start assuming that they do, I think that's a recipe for disaster. So we coach them all the same and from the very beginning. They may have heard something a thousand times, and they're going to hear it another thousand. And and that's, I think, important to keep their attention, make them understand we're only trying to make you the best player that you can possibly be. You're going to get the same reps as everybody else. You're going to do the same thing as everybody else. You're going to hold the bag for a rookie. You're going to hold the bag for a practice squad guy. It doesn't matter. Everybody gets treated the same, and that's just how it's going to be. So... I think this, you know, if you, when you're in your meeting rooms, I, I think you got to treat them all the same. You know, if a, you look over and your best player sitting over there and his eyes are starting to close, you got to tell him, 
wake the hell up, man. Let's go. What are you doing? And you, and you know, that's just how it has to be in, in my estimation. And there's no sacred cows. You know, we just, we treat them all with respect. And, you know, we own two things, the truth. And if the truth is hurtful, then we own pollution. And I just really believe that. That's a, a great way to look at it. Because I, I believe the same thing, Matt, that you treat them all the same. You treat them, you treat them all the same. Joe Thomas gets treated like all the other people in the room. Okay. He's nothing special. Beyond time, you know what I mean? Be out to practice early. You know what I mean? He holds the bags with uh, different guys. It, it doesn't matter. He did everything everybody else did. And he expected to do that. You young coaches, listen to that. That's, that's great advice for you young guys to, to understand how that room, because the chemistry in a room is more important than any of the X's and O's that we can draw on the board as coaches. The chemistry that Dante creates in that meeting room is more important than if he's going to run an inside zone play. Because everybody runs an inside zone play. That's great advice for everybody. Not only young guys, but everybody. Yeah, and, and I would add one thing. And that's that I would ultimately hope that your very best football players are those people that reinforce the message that you're trying to get across. So if you're out there on the field and, you know, and, a, and one of your best players isn't, you know, he's, he's blocking a certain technique and the guy holding the bag standing there like an iron deer on the line, he's going to tell him, hey, you got to give me a, an appropriate reaction to what I'm doing here. Because I'm going to do that for you, and if we do that for each other, we're going to be better. And when it comes from them to the group, it just validates everything, and it frequently does. And, and the biggest thing that I felt like really helped us is when you would get on a young player, and then all of a sudden a very veteran player would go up to him after the fact and say, "Hey, you know, you you ain't the lone ranger here. We've all." We've all been treated this way. This is just how it is, and this is how it's going to be. So you know, don't don't get your feelings hurt. That's just how we approach things here. So I just think that that you know, I think it's fair. And if the players and the and the more importantly, the players look at it and say, if you want to be good, if you want everybody to be good, if you want the room to have the right culturally the the right attitude, then I think you know, there's no sacred cows and. And I think they all understand it. You know, I think the tough, one of the toughest things that they is, is you, you teach them that, look, when we get on you, okay, we're not mad at you as a person, okay? We are upset at what you did, not who you are, right? And, and it's tough, you know, even the, the older guys, it's really tougher for the younger guys, but even the older guys, they got to they gotta separate that. Okay, I'm not mad. I love all you guys, right? I'm not mad yeah. at you as 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 you know John Doe. I'm not mad at you, Joe John Smith, whoever it is. Okay, I'm mad at what you did. If you're supposed to block the three technique and then you go through and block the Mike linebacker, I'm mad at that. That's what I'm mad at. I'm not mad at you because you're you. I'm, I'm mad at what you did. I would imagine. You get emails and probably get some letters, and you probably get a lot of things from players over the years that thanking you for what you taught them, not only about football, right, but about life, too. I think you're right. Coach, 
you've been a part of an elite organization, uh, having spent 34 years with the Patriots. You were part of 10 of their 11 Super Bowl appearances, five Super Bowl rings. And looking back on that experience, what are the biggest takeaways you have in working in an elite organization like that? Well, honestly, you know, every year is a different year and the roster isn't always the same and the players aren't always the same, but the approach is always the same. And Bill would do this for the 20 years that we were together. You know, he would get out when we all came back off the summer vacation and, you know, we always came back three three days before all the players came in, all the rookies came in and, and we, and the first day, what he would do is he'd get us in the staff room and he would say, this is how I want to approach things. And it was the same thing every year. We're going to do things this way. You know, a lot of the things that philosophically he really believes strongly in. Now, just like we just talked about the message that you want to get across to your players and never assume that they, that they got it. Well, he, he never assumed that the coaches got it either and that he wanted to reinforce and, and, and make those points again, how things were going to be done. If a, if a guy's late to a meeting, you got to turn it in. You got, you got to, because the guy's going to get fined. The biggest problem you can ever have is if one guy won't find a guy for being late to a meeting and another guy will, because that's the rule. You got to find him for being late to a meeting or, you know, if the, if, if a guy uh, doesn't go to a weight assignment, whatever. But you got to, if there's rules, you got to, you got to abide by those rules. And you got to, because if you don't abide by them as a coach, they're not going to abide by them as a player. So, you know, I think the consistency that, that he wanted, the way he wanted it done, how we wanted to approach things was all in such a way that just, you know, it gave us the best chance to be successful, one. And also to develop the type of culture that we wanted to have within that team, and and I think that that's a huge key to being successful. Is you know it goes back to the, some of the things we've already said. You got to tell them the truth, and you got to provide solutions, and you got to be consistent and build your roster. I think the best thing we did here for for 20 years was we developed the entire roster. We never said that you know these 12 guys on the practice squad or, you know, these, this lower half of your 53-man roster, they're never going to play. We never said that. We always found ways to find time to make those guys better. And I think that developing your roster at any level that you're at is the key to making your roster stronger and making your team better. I don't think there's any, any way that you can approach it other than to do it that way and coach them all, man. Every guy you got, coach them all. And I think that they really respect that. And I think it really makes the team better. With being on the coaching staff and, and let's take this hypothetical situation, coach, obviously anybody who walks through that door and is going to be on that coaching staff has some talent, but what advice would you give that coach coming in the door to this is your best approach to have a successful working relationship with coach Belichick, what advice would you give him? Be a great listener. Number one, a lot of young coaches are in a hurry to tell everybody what they know. 
Well, the truth there is they really don't know as much as they think they know. So be a great listener and and then do what the man wants you to do. So when he says, hey, look at fellas, I want you to make sure that all your players are ready, you know, to start the offseason program. And I want you to call all your players. You better call all the players. Every player you got, you better call. Because the worst thing you could do is go into a staff meeting and you say, well, did you get a hold of everybody? No, coach, I didn't get these three guys. I haven't been able to get to them. You better not, that, that will never suffice. So you got to be a great listener. You got to take in everything. You better have your senses up, sensors up, and you better be ready for everything that he, the way he wants it done, that's the way it's got to be done. That's the great thing about guys that are strong head coaches. And I've been fortunate to work for a lot of them is that, you know, they tell you exactly how they want things done, the way they want them done. And if you do it that way, you're never going to have a problem with those guys. But if you don't, then they got, they got a right to, to let you, you know, to let you have it and to rip you and to tell you, you know, this is unacceptable, just like you would those players you coach. So be a great listener and do what, what the plan is and, and, you know, it just makes it that much easier to survive with guys like that. Great advice. Because if you're going to go and not do what he wants done, then you're probably not going to be there very long. Phil can be a very intimidating guy. But I also think he's very fair. And I would tell you there were numerous times where he would say, hey, hey Dante, what do you think if we block this play this way? And, I, and when he would ask that question, you owe him the absolute truth in the response. And it would, for me, it was always one or two things. Hey, coach, we haven't ever done that before. It sounds like a good idea. We're going to do it. Okay, because, you know, that's what he really wanted to do. But then there were other times and a lot of other times where I say, you know, hey, Bill, we, you know, we tried that before. And here's what happened. And here's why we haven't done it that way. And he says, and his response would always be the thing. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Okay, I got it. No problem. Let's go on. And so it's the same thing. You know, if you don't have a reason uh, for for not doing it, you better do it. If you have a, a reason for not doing it, you better tell them why. And I think they appreciate that. So. I just think that it goes back to being a great listener and being a great communicator and making sure that everything gets done the way he wants it done. Or if not, you got to tell him, you know, hey, this is how I see it. And, and I think they respect that. A lot of them learn from the, some of the things that we do too, is because they don't get a chance to get all the little nuances and details from each position. That that's you know, now Bill may have that over all the years he's coached. But a lot of the guys, they are more, really more concerned about other parts of the game right, than the offensive line. And we're kind of like in our own little world a lot. Okay? And yeah. some of the things that we do, some of the things that we do, they they may not know we're even doing it or even under, trying to understand. So a lot of times they ask the questions. They're trying to find out the answers to help them become better coaches too. Sure. I agree. Coach, at the Cool Clinic, and really today you, you mentioned and emphasized the importance of communication multiple times. And in thinking of a situation that requires great, concise communications, that time between series where you have to make adjustments, 
and it's never in a, an environment that's necessarily conducive to things. There's all kinds of things going on in the stadium, a lot of noise, the roar of a crowd when a, a big play happens, etc. What's the best way to make effective adjustments in that short time span between series? The first obstacle you have to overcome is making sure that, okay, here's the adjustment we're the adjustments we're going to make. And I think that you pretty much will have a good idea of how you want to express that to them before it actually happens. And I think that's just part of the preparation process. So, you know, you sit them down and say, hey, fellas, look, at they're putting three defensive linemen to this side of the ball. Our center, I don't give a shit where the mic is, he has to go to that side because they got three over there, we better get three over there. Okay, so... That's just one example. And then from that point on, then you have to adjust certain things relative to how we're going to take care of that extra defensive lineman and where the guard who's owned to the tackle side away from those three linemen, he's got to now be sensitive to where the mic is because if the mic's where those three linemen is, he's got to join them. If the mic's on the opposite side, then he and the tackle got to take care of the defensive end and Mike. And that's just one example of the many things that could happen. But, you know, it's just stuff like that. And, and I think it, it always, it'll forever come down to speaking in clear, concise, and no uncertain terms. If your system's a strong system, if your way of doing things and your rules are strong within the rules that you have, then you just say, hey, this is, this is how we're going to handle it. This is the way it's going to be done. And then look them all in the eye. You know, hey, everybody understand what we're saying here. You guys are getting ready to go out there, and you're the guys that count on this one. And make sure that they have it, the message, the way you want it done, and the way you want things done. And and you know, hope that that, that they carry it to the field, and it gets done the way you want it done. And it's not just the scheme changing; it, it's the you may have to change techniques with them during the course of the game. You yeah, know, it's not only the, it's not only the scheme. It's sometimes the guys are getting, you know, if you just give them one way to do things, okay, and there's a ten play drive and it's not working for them, okay, well they better find they better have Plan B and Plan C in their pocket someplace. To, they're going to pay to. Uh, it's going to get ugly quickly. Yeah, I always try to give them, hey guys, if this isn't working, it's going. We're going to block it. This way, technically wise, not schematically. Now, if it doesn't work, then you better, you know, use this technique. And if this doesn't work, so you they're constantly making little adjustments themselves out there. Yeah, there's a lot of truth to that. Coach, I heard you talk about the strong relationship that you have with Josh McDaniels and working with him for a long time in your tenure with the Patriots. And it's an important relationship, not just on the personal side, but the working relationship between an offensive line coach and the offensive coordinator. What are the most important aspects of developing that great relationship with the offensive coordinator? For Josh and I, it was always very easy because we, you know, we were in the same system for such a long period of time that our ability to solve issues and problems that would come up during the game and back to your point relative to communication and adjustments and things like that it was never never a really big problem for us to be able to communicate changes amongst ourselves relative to 
how we wanted to make sure that we could get things done and fix problems that were happening on the field. So I would walk over to him or he would walk over to me and, you know, it was the same deal, you know, what, what do you think about this? Or can we use this motion to get this safety out of here? Are we better off lining up in slot because they're trying to drop the weak safety down on us and, you know, if we're in a pro set. So, you know, just stuff like that, that we were able to, over a period of time, be able to come up with ways of doing things. I, I think the one thing that we always tried to avoid was we had ways of doing things. And the easiest reminder for me was, you know, like in pass protection. Our protection rules were, we tried to keep them. We, the one thing we never wanted to do with our protection rules was bastardize them and make changes to specific things. We felt like our rules were strong enough that would allow us to block things the way we wanted to get them blocked relative to the looks that we were seeing. And if that was the case, then, you know, that it, it usually worked out well for us. So he understood how we were doing things as well as I understood how he wanted things done. And for the two of us, that was an easy marriage and things really worked well over a long period of time. You know, we, it just was very easy life. I would have never gone back out of retirement if anyone else was the offensive coordinator other than Josh. Because I, I really enjoyed my time with him. You know, it was always a great, great working relationship. And, you know, we just were, you know, it was an easy way to do things. And I, I really appreciated that about him. I've known Josh since he was nine years old. I used to recruit Camp McKinley High School, and the dad was the head coach there. And the kids, they would come down to Tampa when I was down there, and they'd spend spring break with us. And and, and the dope, Josh growing up in a football family, that that helps too. You know, when you're, when you're born and you grow up in a football family, that's a little different than not doing it that way. And and I think he went up to Michigan State and worked on the defensive side of the ball, I believe. Okay? And then he, he went, when he first got, first got with Bill, he was on the defensive side of the ball. He was, uh, yeah. So he had a really good understanding of what the defenses were trying to do. You know, and then he got to work on the offensive side of the ball under under you and Charlie and then he you know and then he started his own philosophy and personality and all that stuff that has to go with when you sit in that coordinator seat. I think I think he's one of Dante you've been around him long long time. I think he's the one of the smartest football coaches that I haven't been involved with, period. Because he knows offense, he knows defense, he knows what the special teams are doing. It's like Bill, he knows everybody's doing on a football field. And that's yep. really quite knowledgeable of the game. Yeah, he's really good. good. Yeah, and he didn't grow up just in any run-of-the-mill football family. Tom McDaniels is an incredible coach here in in the Ohio High School Football Hall of Fame. I can remember being, you know, a 22- or 23-year-old coach sitting at the Greater Cleveland Football Coaches Association Clinic and listening to him. still remember it to this day, and I'm sure I have the notes somewhere. He's talking about uh, play-action pass and just the detail that he put into it. And, you know, fortunate to be able to have him as, as a guest on this podcast a couple times. That's certainly where it started. His father is an incredible coach as well. I know no, I know you know him well, Bob. I'm sure you've met him too, Dante. Oh, yeah. Tom, you know, he'd come, he would come uh, to training camp every year. You know, we'd see him on the practice field during the season. I always like being around the guy, man. He's just a football guy and a pleasure to be around. He always complimented 
the New England staff. He said, he told me one time, he said, I went to practice when the room, you guys were practicing against the Bears. And he said, I was watching New England practice. He said, okay, I'm going to go over and watch the Bears practice. And he said, the practices were entirely different. The details that the guys are coaching in the wing room, you know, and they don't let anything slide. Nothing gets by. They let them, they make sure the kids are doing it the right way, their way. He said, I go over to the Bears practice and they, they're kind of like under, well, that's good enough. Well, that's good enough is going to get your buck beat. That's what's going to happen. He said he really enjoyed the way everybody did their job at the New England staff as compared to what it was happening on the Bears. So I don't know if you knew that or not, Dante, but... Uh, you know, I did. I remember him really, being out there for the Bears practice. I always enjoyed practicing against another team during training camp and preparation for a preseason game with them. And uh, one of the things we always have done with the Patriots is if like as an example, if we're in one on one pass protection, pass rush against the defensive line, if an offensive lineman falls starts or a defensive lineman encroaches, they immediately just take off and run a lap. I mean, and it's not there's no debate, you know, it's like take off. And because we're not you know, we're not gonna stand for penalties and on either side of the ball. So when we would go against the opponent's defensive line uh, and one of our linemen would fall start, we'd send them on a lap. And they would, and they would look at that, the opposing defensive lineman, and they would say, damn, that's, that's messed up, man. That's, that's, there's, why you guys do that? Well, because we don't like penalties. That's why we do it. And uh, I just think that, you know, it was something we've always done. It's part of the system. It's part of the culture. I'm sure they're still doing it, and I I always felt like that made us better. Coach, I appreciate you taking the time with us today, and before we go, I do want to recommend to all of our listeners, if you did not attend the Cool Clinic or you haven't seen Coach Skarnecchia's presentation there, which was simply called Things I've Learned Along the Way, it really encapsulates all the important things that we need to do as a coach and within this profession, I think he hit on so many things. There was an extensive list that he covered in that hour and a half. And I know Coach Wiley has recommended and mentioned on the podcast to that really any coach should get that and sit his staff down and watch it with him. So incredibly detailed. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes. So if you haven't seen it, Uh, you'll be able to check that out. But, Coach, we really appreciate you taking the time and sharing more ideas with us here today on the podcast. Thank you, guys. It's always good to talk to you and stay healthy, and I look forward to the next time we can get together. Dante, thanks very much. Over the years, our friendship has meant so much to me and uh, and helping me in problems that I've had with some of the schemes and teams and stuff like that. I've always appreciated our friendship and, and your willingness to, to help uh, make me a better coach. I really appreciate that, buddy. Thank you. Thanks, Bob. Thank you. Take care. I look forward to seeing you. Okay, pal.